Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with Lund New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SATINRETURNS at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola, in their flow blend. Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code SATINRETURNS. Enjoy. We should use pleasure as a way to stay present. It's the fastest and and most compelling way to go back to homeostasis. It's what we have built into the system. Pleasure is what we've got as an asset to combat depression, stress, tension, you know, anxiety. My guest today is sexual pleasure entrepreneur Chloe McIntosh. Chloe was born in Paris but started her career in architecture in the UK and has remained here ever since. She soon left architecture and moved into tech, co-founding homeware brand Made.com. Following her passion, she has recently founded sexual wellness brand Kama, an app that offers sexual wellness practices that improve how users experience love, sex and intimacy. I was first introduced to Chloe through my agents, and after our first meeting, I was so impressed by her. I've never met anyone that speaks so eloquently and so knowledgeably about the subject of sex. 
it's definitely considered quite a taboo or stigmatized subject. And when Chloe talks about it, she's so lit up because you can just feel and see her passion. So I just had to get her on the podcast to discuss this because it's something that I feel, even though I'm in my 30s, I still know so little about. But as a very, you know, I consider myself quite a sexual person. It seems strange that we have such a bad education around the subject. And so speaking with someone like Chloe gave myself the opportunity to learn more and I hope it will do the same for you. And when it comes to intimate episodes, I don't think this one can be beaten. We talk about orgasms, multiple orgasms, different types of orgasms, G-spots, squirting, how our sexuality and our spirituality should be treated as one and the same. It's a lot, but it's very exciting. So before we get to this episode with Chloe, let's check in with our astrological guide, Nora. Sexuality in astrology is closely related to the planet Mars, not Saturn. Mars is the energy that invokes our vigor, our energy levels, our ambitions, our body's needs, our sexuality, and also our free will. And up until the age of 27, this energy hasn't completely matured yet. It is still evolving and trying to express itself in accordance to its desire, its will, its ambition. And so this is where Saturn comes in. Saturn represents our fears, our doubts, our restrictions and lessons that have been influenced by early authority figures, that have been influenced by society's judgmental gaze and the narrative that we've been programmed to believe surrounding our free will, surrounding our bodies, sexuality, ambitions, and so forth. It's our inner masculine that as women can be hard to express with the right balance. So during Saturn return and any Saturn transit throughout our lives, we inevitably become confronted with those very judgments and restrictions we've unconsciously placed upon ourselves and that without a doubt have directly influenced our sexuality and our relationship with sex. Saturn challenges us to challenge its it desperately wants us to recognize our own authority and pushes us to lead the dance towards complete emancipation. It's this dance that can feel like a constant push and pull as we step into our 30s or past any Saturn transit. And it's also this dance that leads the way towards self-sovereignty and unapologetic ownership over our sexuality, our bodies, our ambitions, our free will. I thought about the idea of launching something within the sexuality space about 15 years ago when I got pregnant with my first son because I was feeling a bit lost. You know, I'm French, I come to the UK and then no one talks about sex. And then if I go to see a doctor, it's really awkward. And so I was looking for a place to inform myself around, you know, what happened to your sex life when you're pregnant and what should you avoid? And, you know, is there something I should know? And I was just really surprised to find that there was nothing I could go to in terms of like a destination online or platform that would inform or asking people, they didn't know where to get informed. It was just like a blank, basically. And so I realized, shit, that's so strange. Why is this a blank? You know, why they aren't cool brand that talk to you about sex and tell you what to do? And so it just kind of started to, you know, play in my mind. I think that's a, a real problem in society that women, when they go through that, mm. And I've spoken to boys about it and I've spoken to girls that are going through that themselves, that they suddenly sort of become desexualized mm. and 
even their partners might look at them as different and it's like it creates this kind of I don't know a bit of a Madonna in the hall complex mm. where it's like totally. you know you are the mother of my children therefore I can no longer see mm. you as a sexual being and then how that affects the woman who then is feeling like am I no longer viewed as a sexual mm. being am I not allowed to whereas that space for me to express this part of myself I'm sure it could be really traumatizing where do those kind of messages come from well, I mean, we live in a very heteronormative world, you know, where standards of reference based fundamentally around male pleasure or male satisfaction. Yeah. This comes from Sigmund Freud uh, a lot, I believe, uh, because he's the one that kind of labeled internal pleasure as superior to clitoral pleasure for women. He said internal orgasm have more value. They're the real orgasms, which is the one that men get pleasure from. Wait, he said that men... He said that an internal orgasm for women, women is more is a, is the real is a real deal, and clitoral orgasms are kind of there, you know, to for the woman to find pleasure, but that's because she's not having the internal pleasure. So if you think about it, that view, which is designed by men around men, very women had the voice to say, "No, hang on a second, actually, you know, uh, we all get more Sigmund, pleasure uh... from that." So can we make that that pleasure that we value? Because the other thing is just going to make us uh, traumatized and ashamed that we can't have it, yeah. which is 80% of women cannot have an internal orgasm without any external sim stimulation. So something that a very few people are aware of is that during the first six weeks of the gestation in, in the womb, we have a vulva, all of us. From that vulva shape, the penis develops and all of the different pieces get reassembled into an external piece of anatomy versus a more internal piece of anatomy. But the more we know the correlation and, and, and kind of similarities between the two components, the more we can actually understand each other's pleasure. And this has been a, a big piece of internal research for us when we started to work on the idea that we need to teach every woman to squirt because squirting yeah. is such a big part of the arousal system. It has the opportunity to uh, set us off into a place of arousal that's extremely you know, beneficial for us. It's also allowing us to clean the pipes and uh, release the system. So it's kind of an important process that really should happen early in the experience. So you kind of have that release, you really let go, and then you can go into actually more internal pleasure. So it wakes up your internal structures yeah. and make them more erogenous. Because I, I, just to kind of bring our listeners into a bit of context of how we met, I had a session with Aaron, who works with you, and he told me some of this stuff that just fascinated me. Because this is in a space that I know very much about. I didn't, you know, sex education at school was hugely limited. And I definitely have always adopted that narrative of if you don't achieve an internal orgasm through sex, then there's something slightly wrong with you. And then there's this like thing of the G-spot, like, do I not have a G-spot? <laughs> Was I born without one? Same for me. Yeah. And then, you know, that does on some level create a bit of a, I think, a shame thing or like you're not a woman or you're not achieving something that you're supposed to be. Mm. And what I found really fascinating, what Aaron told me is this, this idea about learning squirting, because again, that was something that all I knew about that was what I'd seen through pornography, like, mm. I don't know, when we'd watch 
silly yeah, things. Which is like know. a party trick. It's like yeah. a forced experience that looks very theatrical. Like, yeah, and quite weird. And like I was like, I don't know what, what's going on there. So would you be able to talk a little bit about that process and how it's kind of important to what we're discussing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been quite a funny experience for me because with everything we do on the app, I have to know for myself that but it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, but it's also a bit of pressure. Like, you know, I was away after Christmas last year with this mission to get myself to learn how to squirt and also develop a method that would be applicable for everyone. So I locked myself in a bathroom for about three days with... <laughs> With porn, with, with girl porn, uh, this new type of porn that I think is actually a, a very interesting and very educative, which is just women masturbating themselves in front of a camera. And the beauty about this compared to all the porn we've seen before is they're doing it for our own pleasure. Mm. So I've learned a lot of techniques looking at those girls because they, they can do a lot of stuff, you know. So it's actually been quite interesting on, on, as a side note. And so I basically was breaking it down, like looking at the anatomy, I was on the phone with Aaron, like on a constant basis, and the other girl on my team talking about, okay, so if this happens, so we stimulate, you know. So the way I've understood this whole process is that when we get uh, aroused, the female system uh, gets engorged, which means that the blood fills the tissues, the erectile tissues, which are on the vagina wall, but also covering all of the genital parts. So the clitoris, the legs of the clitoris, the bulbs, the lips, everything has erectile tissue that can engorge with, with blood. And when the blood flow comes with the oxygen, which is also carrying the nitric oxide, and the nitric oxide actually connects the nerve ending. So that you know, substance is what gives you the connection to pleasure. So it's very important first to be hydrated and to be aroused enough in order to get to those levels of heightened pleasure and, and, and consequently heightened orgasms. Very often the woman isn't prepped enough, hasn't had the time to relax, connect, surrender, be in her body, engorge, get aroused. You know, in 10 minutes, you can't get that process done. We need a minimum of 20 minutes for the physiology to transit from a place of you're just normal to a place where you're now fully prepared to experience pleasure. It's not so quick. So that's one of the first issues we have in the culture we have today. It's also quick. You know, porn, there's no preparation. They go straight in. The second thing was really to understand the anatomy and the fact that when this engorgement process happened, one of the biggest myths around female pleasure is that we have to be, to have a tight vagina, Mm. right? So a lot of us, especially after you have kids, do a lot of Kegel exercises and you squeeze a lot your pelvic floor because you've heard if you don't, you're going to have a prolapse. If you don't, you won't be able to suck onto whatever inside you. You won't have pleasure. You won't give pleasure. You're basically no longer the woman you could be. It's just a lot of pressure. I mean, I felt it, you know, after the two kids. So I was squeezing, squeezing <laughs> like a maniac, you know. And what happened with squeezing, it's a bit like with any other type of exercise. You create hypertension in one direction. So a lot of women end up with hypertension in the pelvic floor. And orgasm happens from a place of relaxation. Not letting go. So it's about pushing into your pleasure, not mm. squeezing into your pleasure. And when you mm. push into your pleasure, then you increase the engorgement. And what happens is when your erectile tissues inside the vagina fills with blood, it creates the suction effect. And that's what's very pleasurable. And there's no effort there. You're not squeezing, doing anything. You're just, you're just pushing into it and it's filled with blood, you're fully engorged, so you have this amazing suction effect that you'll struggle to move a finger around when you're really prepared. So that was the first thing. How do we get a body to be in that state first? Then the second stage is to do with getting over this mental block 
that we are, we're going to pee ourselves. Yeah. Because in order to squirt, you have to let go of this and feel like you're peeing. But is it a different thing? Yes. So if you're aroused, it's not the same channel. It's a liquid that does not have the, uh, the filtering uh, debris that comes from urine. So it's not actually, it's not gone through the whole filtering system. It's happening locally. Is that achieving an internal orgasm then? No, so there's a completely different thing. So squirting does not come necessarily with an orgasm, but some people can report squirting orgasms where as they release into an orgasm is also when the whole system relaxes and then mm. they're able to squirt. It's quite difficult to do with penetration because it's not a lot of space. So sometimes a lot of people I talk to say they haven't squirted. And then when I ask specific question, they actually have. And this is when you have a pool of wetness under your body after you have sex and you're like, what is that? This would have been squirt coming out when you have penetrative sex, but you didn't necessarily notice it coming out because yeah. it just leaked out. When if you do it with your own fingers yourself, or if it's finger stimulation, you can feel, you know, the different quality of, of you know, of fluid that, that would come up. Sometimes it's a little bit more like a river. Sometimes it has a bit more pressure, you know, just depending how long the stimulation has been, etc. Just to go back to what you mentioned a second ago about the 80, you know, mm. 80% of women can't achieve... Internal orgasm with that stimulation of the clitoris, let's say. And why is that? What is... Well, th there's lots of uh, reasons. Some of it is, again, uh, our expectation and formatting around this just don't line up with the anatomy and, and the way the system works. Um, so uh, a woman who hasn't sensitized her internal walls, so let's say... We have a practice on the app that's called a bowel feedback, where you basically put a finger in your vagina and you try and guess where your finger is. And usually the first time you do this exercise, you would probably see that 80% of your walls, you can't tell because you've lost sensitivity through excess friction sex. And that's when usually people say, oh, I'm bored after 10 minutes during sex. Yeah, because there's not enough sensations. Is that be is that to do with the fact that it's like more catered for the male, and that's something that they physically enjoy, or is that just something that's developed through pornography that we think is how? Sexual? No, it was there before. I think men really enjoy friction base on their uh, penis, and therefore uh, they look for that. And because uh, sexuality and pleasure has been orientated around their pleasure, then that's how we always believe we should be yeah. behaving. And to be honest, I think and question why we're not enjoying it. And then question why we don't want it as much as them. I have a massive problem with that, that people just say that men are more sexual because I think it also allows for so much behaviour. Do you know what I mean? Saying that men are want sex more, I don't think that that's true. So um, men are more satisfied with the kind of sexual pleasure that they usually access. They're not made more sexual, but of course, if you like something, you are more going to be drawn towards it. If a woman, we are not or rarely satisfied, then it. who wants to go and do it? But if we were, we would. If we were reaching our potential as women, I wouldn't think we would get out of the house for quite a few months. <laughs> I literally believe that. I mean, it's uh, our potential is impaired. The landscape of orgasms and experience and the length and depth by which we could have sex is an endless potential for us. Uh, we can have multiple orgasm. We have cervical orgasm. We have breast orgasm. We have anal orgasm. We okay, have... Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to have to go into something. Talk about multiple orgasms because that's, again, something that people, you know, you see it in pornography and you're like, I have no idea what's going on there. So... 
going back again to, you know, the kind of science. So a, a clitoral or ejaculatory orgasm, which is most of the orgasm that we have, they trigger the sympathetic nervous system. So it means the excitation. Their, their kind of uh, quality is about uh, rising quick, having a high peak, and then a refractory period where the system has to cool yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. When we go into higher states of arousal and we start learning how to edge, which means how to not have a quick orgasm, but if let's say you're at zero when you're not aroused and 10 is your climax, learning to flirt with the seven or eight, learning to stop yourself going over the edge, relaxing for a moment and then going again and building those little plateau is helping you step up the potential for the pleasure you will get at the end. So a lot of the recommendation we make is don't have a quick masturbation practice that trains you to last for six minutes and then expect as a man or a woman to have a great sexual experience that might last for longer. Because it's like, if you don't do the right training, you won't get the right results. So a big part of what we teach people is to rethink their masturbation practice as training ground for great sex. So much of our focus is on the destination, on the mm. orgasm. So we spend the entire experience chasing the orgasm. We know one of the most fundamental principles of mindfulness, and, you know, being present and therefore having pleasure is in the moment, is to actually being able to slow down, you know, and build sensation is what's going to keep you present. So if you get bored by sex, you know, the answer is going to always be find more sensation in your own body, build your pleasure potential for yourself. Because once you know how to unlock your pleasure, you won't rely on your partner anymore. And suddenly you become a very uh, self-sufficient, doesn't mean you don't need a person to provide for you, doesn't mean that suddenly you're this independent lover that just works for themselves and is like, <laughs> I'm just here for me. It doesn't have to be that. But you become a lot less dependent, expectations become a lot less about the other person, and it also creates a healthier dynamic in your relationship. Because another fundamental principle is that you're responsible for your arousal. You're responsible for your sexual satisfaction, not your partner. Going back to, you know, uh, men are more sexual leads to bad behavior. We feel so much responsibility often that if we don't please them, they're going to go and see elsewhere mm -hmm. because now we can't provide. And it's it, that's a lot of... Yeah. How people feel in relationships sometimes. And can we talk about that in terms of how to have these? Because obviously you're so well versed in it and it's very easy for you to have these conversations. But for someone listening that might not feel that comfortable having mm. it, I'd like to go into that a little bit. Well, I think the first thing to say is if you ask any man, they would prefer to be with a woman that knows her pleasure. You can ask them all. All they want is a girl who writes them and exactly what she's doing, had the best time, and they just don't really have to worry about it. <laughs> That's actually what they actually really enjoy. The role of the masculine, I would say, in terms of energetic you know, dynamic, is to hold space so mm. that the woman can fully express themselves. Men are really eager to please, ultimately. You know, so we always say they take their pleasure. They're also the victim of the system. You know, Absolutely. they're also yeah. being told that this is what's okay. And, and so I think education is important. And it's also why I was very, very um, clear that I, I wanted Kama to, to not be uh, specifically designed for, for women, uh, but to be very much uh, gender agnostic uh, and think of the body. And the body is the technology that we are talking to here. And the optimizing and understanding of the body is really what this is all about. So whether you are in that body or halfway between 
this idea of who you are or all the way into a clear definition for who you are, it doesn't really matter. You know, I think the education should really not focus too much on, on that yeah. and really bring back what the fact that we all have feminine and masculine energy. We are all allowed to take the lead and receive and give and that those dynamics need to be discussed. And one of the things we're designing at the moment is actually a, a, a form of dashboard that will be a feature that people can look at and share where they actually start selecting what they like and what they want, all their erogenous zone, what do they want to explore and be able to exchange this before sexual experience with their partner. And that becomes like a starting point for conversation. Mm. And so important. Yeah, you know? I, th I think that should 100% be normalized because we do go into these sexual experiences not talking about them, guessing as we go. And often, you know, for, and this is my personal experience, I've, I've met a, a lot of people, um, I've, I've met some men who, for whatever reason, for whatever like sociological reasons, they put aspects of their sexuality into a sort of a box, like a shame box. So I think actually encouraging people to have these conversations at the really early stages before actually getting into bed with someone so that you are okay, you know, you know you're on the same page and you know how to communicate those desires with the other person. Yeah, you know, it's normal mm. to be attracted to other people, to have weird fantasy. And the health of a relationship is to have the safety to be able to communicate those things without doing them. Doing mm. them. Or if we even want to do them, that still that can be a yes. conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether it's, it's not a conversation that it becomes then it goes into a place which will then be associated to shame. Then we start doing things which are like hiding and cheating and hurting each other and often ending in a place precisely where we didn't want to be yeah. by provoking that conversation. And I would also say that on an energetic level, we, we know a lot of what's going on and we pick up on things, even if it's not being outwardly communicated. And actually, people could just be more radically honest with stuff. I think it would... That's exactly so my new value is relationships now, is radical honesty. Every connection I have that has this potential to be intimate, I offer this as what I want. And I think it's been welcomed as something really new mm. and edgy, but you can see that it's not easy. And I think that the younger generation, you know, we're going into a, a new culture, a new world. Where everything's very nuanced. Where everything will have to no longer be binary in its expression, which means that brands who don't understand that shift will get left behind. Mm. You know, yes. so these people, really the position of this younger generation is, I don't have to tell you what my choice is, actually. Yeah. Because today I feel this way, maybe tomorrow I want to be with other types of people. And ultimately, what they're really bringing back is that what matters is connection. Yeah. How do you feel that's affecting people in terms of the, the social constructs around relationships in a, in a typical sense that the reason we have marriage is kind of almost an outdated concept now? It was based on often an economic thing and we're moving into this new era. Do you feel that you can see people changing that in terms of having more polyamorous relationships, less monogamy, you do? Oh yeah, I've see, I've see, I see it everywhere. I see it everywhere already. And I think, I mean, connected to, uh, you know, groups of communities, which are a little bit ahead, up, right? Yeah. So it's more of a kind of informing what's coming than I think saying it's a mainstream thing. It's not yet, but I have no doubt 
that we are going to be going into a very, very different relationship dynamic in within the next two to five years. So soon, we're going to see couples opening up their relationship to having a third person come in. I mean, we have the apps now, dating app, dedicated to find finding you know a sexual partner just for a sexual experience. Yeah, yeah, which are very focused around. Okay, you 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 want to experience being a dom. Put that out. The kink space for me is a very interesting field of exploration. Yeah, because <laughs> this was like yeah. another thing that was like exciting me about the research is to discover that actually kink, which mm. is often associated to dungeon and leather and being tied up, yeah, very stereotyped. Yeah, is actually a psychological, like a psyche exploration of how to get to know and accept yourself better. Because ultimately your edges is where you define yourself. I mean, if we're all in the middle, we're all in the middle and that's great. And that's where we find connection and and we relate and we want to do the similar things. But then there is all these edges that often we've been told, Sigmund Freud again, that we have an unconscious subconscious that is programmed at our childhood. And in that time, we have our first sexual experience, a sexual energy is experienced for the first time between the age of zero and five, in whichever form. It could be that you see something sexual, it could be that you see your parents kissing or touching, but you feel the sexual energy, you're not very conscious of it. Those experiences would define your arousal cues for the rest of your life. So usually, this is where your edges come from, your king come from, something that happened in childhood that you don't even remember. I remember this guy who told me he had a foot fetish and he was like searching for why and he was obsession. And he remembered that when he was at school, he was always in suspension. And the girl who was looking after them, she used to take off her shoes and rub her feet. And that turned him on as a six-year-old boy. He got obsessed with that. And since then, you know, so it's, and and it's very important when you think of sexual trauma as well and the, the imprint around shame and you know you've been told as a kid don't do this it's dirty when you're touching your clitoris because it feels good and you're fucking fine and you don't you're not doing something wrong Mm. you're not doing something wrong but we told don't do this it's not good or hide so you know that comment can take away pleasure for years for for a young woman you know but feeling that you are wrong and broken Mm. because you have certain desires is also how we end up self-bullying And having this internal chatter that we're not right, that something is wrong with us. Why do we have those thoughts? You know, the most common fantasy is rape fantasy. Wow. This idea to to have something taken from us without our permission. There's some some erotic aspects of that. Of course, no one wants that to happen. And of course, we shouldn't act on it. But there is an interesting articulated play between pain, pleasure, provocation, you know, there's lots of elements to it because it's a complex structure. Sexuality is an intimate, deep place where we hide, you know, some of the things we never tell anyone. You know, we we contract a lot in that area. So it's very important to, through kink exploration, could be a great way to unlock and accept pieces of yourself. Well, I love what you said about it's through pushing up against those edges is how we kind of define who we are. I was speaking to a girlfriend about this recently because I think sometimes in sexual experiences, it's not that you're not turned on, but let's say it's like relatively new and you're kind of exploring each other and the man will make, again, I'm going off my personal experience, the man will kind of do something that's 
you do want it, but then you're yeah, but it's secret. And there's this thing in your mind that kind of basically we've been so conditioned to allow, Mm -hmm. and so it's like you're like, oh well, I I I'm I'm guess enjoying Mm. it, so okay. But there's a very different energy exchange behind it, and I think that's afterwards when sometimes people feel. And, you know, we ha- it's a really complex area because you know, people will say, well, you know, you slept with them, so surely you want, and you wanted to at the time. Mm. But there's something different that's happening and it's something that we really need to own mm. in ourselves mm. in that moment. It's like, am I allowing this or am I actually, you know, fully surrendering and wanting to receive it? Or am I just kind of going along with the moment? Because I think that's when we feel bad afterwards. Totally. And I think that uh, very often uh, what we call first touch in our language is too soon. You know, you kiss a guy for a minute and before you know it, he's got his hands between your legs and, and you think... You know, my, I remember when we do like uh, this other little experiment at the moment for first time sex. So this is for uh, my 16 my year old son hasn't had sex. And then his cousin had sex, 19. And then together, them and my experts, we created a curriculum for first time sex. So what do you need to know before you actually have sex? And one of the things which is in the course is unless the girl is begging for you to touch her genitals, don't, don't go there. She mm-hmm. will get there. If she mm. wants to. Mm. And I do think that's something that needs to be educated for the man. It's quite simple. Because what men And then a woman would just go crazy. And then yes. when she's crazy and aroused, everyone's going to have a good time. Because <laughs> yeah. I think men think if they go there and you it's are... It's going to happen. You're, yeah. But also if you're aroused, because you can be you can be turned on and still not want it. And I think that that is an important distinction to make. Because I think men, when they're you know, hard or whatever, they're like, okay, I want to have mm. sex. Very different. Very different. So if they think a woman's wet and they're like, oh, well, she's ready. She wants yes. it. It's like, no, that's not necessary. The other true. thing that's very problematic because of this commoditization of sex and how quickly we go into it is women doesn't have the time to seduce. Women, seduction is the most important aspect of their general arousal. For mm. most women, they need to be able to also feel that their power is what's having an effect if they already have the prize, you know, before mm-hmm. doing anything about it, before having the time to seduce. And very often what happens is as the woman goes into seduction, she looks like she's ready because mm-hmm. she's starting to move her body and yeah. finally getting... But that can last for hours for women sometimes. And that's a pleasure zone. That seduction can be the most exciting part, the built up, which will then become the resolution, will be so much greater, actually based on how much time you had not touching the genitals sometimes. And this is, for me, I had, you know, I say not one, two, three, which is nipples and the pussy. I'm like, you know, I sometimes literally have to say not one, two, three, not one, two, three. For me, it's like one, two, three. They go bam, 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 and it's like the code. It's not a code. (laughs) That code does not work. And the other thing you said, which I think is very valuable inside, is the fact that if we don't do it, we feel like we are prude. Uh, we are not sexual enough. If we say no, Blue it's too soon. Balls, you know, it's yeah. like, so you're not sexual enough. Me, very yeah. often, I let things happen thinking, especially on the first date, you want to appear to be this really cool sexual person who's really open and totally orgasmic. And so you kind of go with things and then you start that pattern you're talking about. Because if you start doing the wrong things from the get-go, you're always going to get served the wrong thing back. Mm. So then we, it's our fault. So speaking up and actually having the courage to say it's too soon, I'm not ready, I thought I wanted it, but I don't. And actually being, remember that consent is at every step. Even if you are in it, 
Yeah. You can say, actually, it's not feeling so good. Do you mind if we stop? And even when you're there, you don't need to have sex. Mm-hmm. Even if you go on a date that looks like it's going to be sexual and you flirt on the way there and you you still don't have to do it. And it was like, mm-hmm. I need to hear it. I love that one sentence at every step. I think that's really important. And it's true in a couple. You know, the probably the biggest question we have from couples is how do we align the arousal? They call it mismatch the arousal, like... I want it, uh, they don't, um, you know, how do we make sure that in the dynamic of a couple, there is sexual tension and sexual tension is a practical thing. It's not an abstract thing. Sexual tension is being, being aware of the space between us, mm. valuing the space between us. So if I'm like now I'm standing a meter away from you, if I come closer, you're going to feel it because I'm coming closer to your space. I'm now in your intimate space more and more. So be having this awareness that we're moving closer to the person, that when you come back from work, you don't just kiss the head of your partner and, you know, insignificantly. Be intentional with touch every time. Be intentional with kiss every time. That's what will maintain sexual, sexual tension in a couple. And I think on the male side of consent, the way to bring that up if you are keen to take this and, and apply it as a piece of advice, check in on the person. Does that feel good? Do you want more? Tell me where you want it. Show me. Like we, we encourage a lot of people to do a, a mutual self-masturbation. So you masturbate in front of your partner. Show them what you like. Show them how you take your pleasure. They show you how they find their pleasure. And then you learn how to touch them. They learn how to touch you. It's a bit edgy. I'm not saying it's easy to do. But if you're going to have sex with someone, (laughs) you know, you're going to let them inside, whatever, or you're going to have these experiences, getting over the hurdle of being able to be exposed in front of them. And the other thing which I think works amazing is genital gazing. Well, I was going to say, is that something that you would suggest people do before they actually sleep with someone? No, I think that's hard to do with someone you don't know, but (laughs) it should not be hard to do if it's your partner. If it's hard to do because your partner, it's something you need to work on in your relationship. Mm -hmm. So that practice, genital gazing, like, you know, like cocoa pussy worshipping, these kind of things are brilliant to create the relaxation. What's, what's worshipping? So genital like worshipping, it's amazing. It's basically saying how amazing your pussy is. It feels great. It smells great. drives me crazy. I love it. I want to be in there forever. And you saying, you know... I'm dedicated to your cock. Like that's that's all I want to think about. It feels great. It's hot. It's strong. Whatever it might be that just yeah. really celebrate, you know, the person's genital because we all have concerns and shame mm. around smell, around the way it mm. looks. You know, women have not really been educated around the variety mm-hmm. of anatomical structures. And again, so much shame around that. So having your partner yeah. look at you, celebrate you, Mm. And also it's something you should do on your own with a mirror, you know? Well, it kind of ties into porn and because of what a lot of women look like in that industry, a lot of women think, oh, do I look differently? And then I think there's a really important piece that if we don't feel worthy of desire, we can't actually access it. 100%. And that's not just in terms of, you know, what our genitals look like. That's in terms of what our bodies look like you know, the standards of beauty that are existing at the moment and how inaccessible they are to most people. Mm. And I think that that creates a messaging that means you are not worthy of pleasure. Mm. 
And I think women actually struggle to achieve orgasms all totally. these because on some level they don't feel like they're deserving of it. I totally agree with you. I think limiting beliefs and permission are some of the biggest blocks uh, to experiencing more pleasure and being able to surrender and have the kind of orgasms you know that are possible. Limiting beliefs be- because we don't have an education. And as a result of that, no communication, no conversation. We don't feel we have permission. What you're saying about the G-spot is very common. Most women don't think they've got one and they feel inadequate as a result. They feel incomplete, you know. So if you, don't have, if you think you don't have a G-spot, you will not have a G-spot orgasm because your mind is very powerful, mm. as we know. And so knowing what you have is literally one of the most powerful steps in the process of accessing that. Because when your brain knows it's got it, it can focus on it and it believes in it. And then as we know now, with all of the research in neuroscience and the work of Josie Spencer and people like this, that we can create our own reality just by believing. You know, it's actually physiologically and, and at a neural level with the plasticity of our brain, we can really have an impact. Mm-hmm. And this is very true for, for male pleasure when it comes to the prostate. You know, because there's so much stigma around men men having pleasure in their bum, they're missing out. And, you know, think about also, you know, the thing we haven't talked about, which is the connection between spirituality and the sacredness of sexuality, yeah. which has been Just mutilated. Totally. So sad for us to have separated this and created so much trauma. Yeah. And I, I mean, ultimately, that's kind of really why I wanted us to have this conversation. So how does that for you tie-in and how can we start to detach the shame pieces around Mm. it and actually start having our sexual self-practice as a spiritual one? You know, sometimes I find that the best way to get ideas across is common sense. And the beauty about what we're doing is there's a lot of common sense, but actually Mm. what we've been doing is not common sense. And so the, the idea that sexuality is sacred, of course it is. We create life through sexuality. This is how we are able to create a being in our own system because of sexuality. So by principle, it's very natural. By principle, it should be celebrated. By principle, it's divine. Whichever way the expression is for you, even if that spiritual space for you is the connection with yourself, Mm -hmm. that's enough. Or whether it's a connection with a higher being or if it's the belief that there is something, you know, bigger than us, then that should never be disconnected from this idea that we can create life. It's the creative center. And what's really important is that so much of our medicine, especially when it comes to sexuality, is focused on reproduction. Mm. But, you know, sexuality is not anymore uh, used for reproduction anymore. We actually, most of the time, try to avoid reproduction yeah. during sex. So, so what are we doing with it while we're not reproducting? Well, we're still creating. We're still connecting. This is this energy that is uh, the only energy we can create. Most energy we consume, you know, or we release. This is an energy we can actually build into the system. And what's interesting is when you are in a deep state of meditation or when you are in an orgasmic state, whether through an orgasm or high states of arousal, you're stimulating the same part of your brain. You're transcending. So what I have discovered in my meditation practice, my mindfulness practice, is that arousal is an amazing tool for transcendence and amazing tools for uh, deepening your mindfulness practice because it gives you sensations. 
which means you stay present. So if you think about traditional meditation, basically ask you to sit on your own, uh, close your eyes and don't move and don't think. Now, that's a very advanced practice. Mm. It's, it's impossible for people to pick that up from nothing. The most important part of mindfulness is what I call effortless mindfulness, which is basically being in a mindfulness state. And, and that means that every moment of the day, you're being mindful. When I drink the tea, I connect with the, sense the taste. Yeah. What, what am I tasting here? How does it feel on my mouth? When I'm outside, I stop a moment, just a second, to feel the wind on my face. You know, it's, it's this thing that I was the most skeptical around when I first started this practice, working with amazing experts who said to me repeatedly, it's through sensuality mm. that we can get better sexuality. It's by reconnecting with the senses and depolarizing from the head, where mm. all the energy is stuck. Because we've designed a society where you are evaluated through your intellectual capacity, unless you are an athlete and you know your body is first. But generally, we grow up as people thinking the intellect is what's going to give you your success in life most of the time. I think our culture is disembodied. Mm. And it's very dangerous. Because when you're disembodied, you're not safe. You're not in your body. Well, also that ties into so many things. And I think we're seeing it a lot at the moment is that we're not in a state of self-trust because we don't have that harmony between our minds and our bodies. And so we often feel at war with them and we're in such a linear way of thinking that we get in this fear-based mm. mentality a lot of the totally. time because we don't know how to tap into our bodies. Also, I love that idea of it's becoming more sensual, mm. you know, tapping into our sensuality to yeah. access our sexuality. Reprogramming my sense of my senses. I mean, it's been one of the most fundamental change that allowed me to shift how I experience, you know, pleasure in general. And this is the one of the beautiful surprises, which we don't make promises around any of this, but this is one of the most beautiful surprises that people get when they start really connecting and learning about themselves and being more in their body, is mm. that it really communicates and people are drawn to it and they want that. And it's one of the messages that we, we really want to get people across is that if they listen to this conversation and it just feels so inaccessible mm. and you know someone may think I have pain every time I have sex I'll never get there what I really want to tell you know people who think that they will never have access to to this kind of pleasure or to this potential is that it's possible because we've designed a practical method that is not just about sex you know that's also about loving yourself, about using the brain plasticity, use your tools. It's not just about your will. Your body has loads of potential tools that can support you if you know them and understand them to get there. So you're not on your own. There's you, your mind, your body, your brain, your heart. It's a team, you mm. know? And so when we don't spend as much time in our head, just dissociating from the thought is the healing process already starting. We should use pleasure mm. as a way to stay present. It's the fastest and, and most compelling way to go back to homeostasis. It's what we have built into the system. Pleasure is what we've got as an asset to combat depression, stress, tension, you know, anxiety. We've got this tool. It's there and it's, it's infinite. It. Yeah. There's no limit. So we're very familiar with how much pain we can suffer and all the different pain we don't like. And we know all sorts so many things about pain. But, you know, you ask people to describe all the different types of pleasure they like and what, you know, a lot of people don't know. Yeah. So this is about 
simply changing the focus and actually taking every moment of the day to have pleasure. Just take every opportunity you can, even if it's touching something like now I'm touching your sofa, it's kind of soft. I'm noticing that it's soft, just that. You know, when you walk, you know, bare feet in the grass, whatever, just connect, just, just that will take you out of your mind for a moment, your head uh, for a moment. And slowly, that's the avenue that you think you will never have. Suddenly you will start feeling calmer. Suddenly you'll start wanting to do more of that. And you'll feel happier and you feel a little bit more energized. Yeah. So it's a slow process. It's reprogramming, you know. But it's, it's accessible and it's doable. Super accessible to anyone. Anyone can do this. So that is the superstar powerhouse that is Chloe McIntosh. I felt so alive and invigorated after our conversation because... Like I said, she just knows so much about the subject. And when you speak with someone that is so passionate and so strong and so feminine, so fierce, it's really inspiring to be around. And also she's just really fun as well with everything. I think when we get to our 30s or we go through our Saturn return, we definitely have, well, I can only speak for myself, but we feel like we should have so much stuff figured out. And yet there's so much that we still need to learn. And sexuality is a really key piece here because what we learn in school is so basic. And then we really start to uncover parts of ourselves and dismantle certain beliefs and certain stereotypes. And perhaps, you know, our sexuality changes. Perhaps we start liking women. Who knows what it might be? But I would just encourage you to be open and allow yourself to flow and allow yourself to be free and expressive because it is our life force and it is so interconnected into our spiritual practice. And there is just so much still to learn. And I feel like this episode sort of scratched the surface. And I would encourage you to get the camera app and, you know, start practicing more because it's really well demonstrated. And I consider it part of my education now, which is a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I would love it if you could share it with a friend that you think might find it useful. I would also suggest making your partner listen to it because, again, in relationships, a key reason so many of them break down is because of lack of communication. And that's particularly apparent, I think, often in the bedroom because if we don't communicate early on, we feel like we we can't later down the line. And there's definitely a way to have these conversations and ultimately we want to make each other happy and to have good experiences. So let's just destigmatize this conversation a little bit and encourage each other to have it. You can find out more about Chloe and the Kama app at kama.co. That is K-A-M-A dot C-O. And you can download the app on any Apple phone. And you can follow our astrological guide, Nora, on Instagram at Stars Incline. I'm at Kagi's World. And you can now follow the podcast at Saturn Returns Co. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we are going on tour in February 2022. So if you would like to come and see me live, I'll put a ticket link in the show notes. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are not alone. Goodbye.